Hey everyone, welcome back to the What's Your Life Journey podcast. My name is Kira, I'm your host, and today's guest is Steve Young, the executive director of Living Waters of the World. In the beginning, like of your life, let's say, hmm. before you, well, when you were passionate about serving others, especially people in other countries, but you weren't actually working for Living Waters yet, um, who would you say you were? And like struggling with feeling that guilt of living here, but also wanting to serve developing countries. Who would you say you were within that? That's a hard question. Uh, you ask hard questions in this I podcast. Well, that's good for you. <laughs> you know, I, I, in my era of growing up, the way that we found out about how people were living in other countries was through shock and awe is probably what I would say. There were campaigns called Feed the Children, but those weren't the Feed the Children we have now. This was a long time ago, um, where you would see uh, literally disturbing pictures and an actress named Sally Struthers would come on and, and try to, you know, get you to feel so guilty that you would want to, you know, give money mm. to, to help orphans who didn't have enough food to eat and that type of thing. And I think I was like everybody else in those days. I, I think it was so shocking that it kind of just numbed me. Hmm. And yeah. so I, I just compartmentalized that away and, and didn't think about it. It just bothered you and your subconscious more than your conscious and just try to go on living life here in the good old yeah. USA. So you didn't really think about I, it not, too not, much? Not so much. I mean, not in a real literal way. It wasn't until later uh, in my life that... Uh, I began to get exposed more to different ways of coming at mission work where I began to um, see the potential of engaging that way. And it was then that I really had to come face to face with those feelings of guilt that we're talking yeah. about. Because what we all do is we compartmentalize away anything that creates psychic pain. Yep. Um, and so by doing that, you don't have to deal with it at all. Right. But, of course, that's not a sustainable strategy. Because eventually <laughs> you will have to face it. And I think that's what happened with me as mm -hmm. I think um, I was uh, like a typical churchgoer. Uh, I think I often spent a lot of Sundays warming up a pew, hmm. you know, because yeah. it's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. But not feeling fulfilled anyway, you know, just going through the motions and yeah. feeling spiritually empty, you know, pursuing the big career. Um, trying to make the big paycheck, you know, all the things that we're taught we're supposed to try to do. Um, but it just wasn't enough. You know, mm -hmm. it was leaving me not, not feeling fulfilled. Uh, and I think it was surprising to me as to anyone um, when I heard about this fledgling little group called Living Waters for the World that I would have such a visceral reaction Oh, so to it's it. been around for a while. Yeah, it was actually conceived of uh, 29 years ago wow, now. okay. And uh, I first heard about it in the year 2000, to give your listeners a reference point. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it was, but when they said, this is a group that's putting their faith into practice by trying to help people have clean water to drink, it was just like something just huh. hit me. And I don't say that lightly. That's not something that happens to me a lot. Yeah. So to your point about what happens when you compartmentalize something away and you don't deal with it, you don't mm -hmm. deal with it, and finally it's kind of try it's fighting to get out. Yep. My guess is is that that's what happened was is when I heard that, that was that moment where all that stuff came flooding back. Hmm. 
And so I was intrigued by that, you know. Um, and I don't think I fully appreciated what it would be like then to be in that context yeah. and then have to come face to face with just how differently uh, we live from other parts of the world. Well, and growing up, what do you feel like you were passionate about within the space of like serving other people? Because mm-hmm. I would like to think most of us at least mm-hmm. have a servant heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what did that look like for you? That's a great question. Um, I had some great role models. My grandfather uh, was a career YMCA man uh, mm. back in the day when YMCA was really founded to uh, be a program, particularly for youth that were in trouble. A lot yeah. of people don't know that. It wasn't a workout facility back yeah, then. Right. <laughs> um, in fact, I mean, I wish we could do a, a podcast on him just because he he was an undercover youth gang worker in the south side of Chicago before wow. he married my grandmother. And uh, uh, that was some pretty intense work oh, back sure. in those days. But I watched him give back that way my whole life. Uh, even when he retired, he used to do sing-alongs at nursing homes. Huh. And he would build these song sheets of songs from the uh, gay 90s, the 1920s, you know, yeah. the, the 1930s, and he would sing these songs, and these folks would remember all that because that was their time of, huh. of being young. You yeah. know? So, so I was around that kind of thing my whole life. And then I uh, wanted to give back before I started my career, so I went back to the church camp where I had been a little kid at okay. church camp and was a camp counselor uh, one summer, and uh, that was a very moving and impactful Uh, time for me, Mm -hmm. because you would take children that would be coming in, you know, in one space in life, and in the matter of a week, with that intensity of being away from home, did you go to church camp? Do you know this experience? I went to Young Life Camp when I was like junior. Yeah. Yeah. So So you can imagine when they're like third grade, you know. No, I never experienced that. That's quite an experience, you know. So that that was kind of the way I probably manifested a servant heart back in the okay. the early days of my life. So I really wasn't thinking globally yet. Huh. You know, that came later. Yeah. But yeah. it was when you stumbled across Living Waters that you really, like, it, saw maybe that you... I don't... To this day, it, it, it's a mystery to me. Wow, that huh. was such a big, big boom, you know. And uh, certainly I couldn't have imagined that go on to delete it. Yeah. At that point. But that was what initially uh, impacted me was just finding out about this idea that I could put my faith into practice. Mm, you know, I, yeah. wonder, I wonder sometimes how many of us out there um, are wondering what's the faith all about if there's not an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I guess that was that was where I was and didn't even know it mm-hmm. until I heard about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you started working with Living Waters, what like I guess what did that look like? What? team were you on maybe what kind of service work were you specifically doing yeah well what we do is we um we train teams from churches to install water treatment systems Mm. with partners in the developing world and so when i first got involved we had not yet started that training program we were still just a small group of volunteers doing this work ourselves so one of my earliest memories is going uh to a uh, community in mexico uh, to install a water treatment system uh, and a location that was 110 degrees in the shade and humid and, you know, huh. you couldn't drink enough water. And, of course, you had to be careful what water you were drinking, yep, right? Definitely. You know, so uh, – and they would – the wonderful people at the church 
we're so grateful, you know, that we were there working with them to create this way for them to have clean water to drink. That of course they wanted to show their hospitality, and so mm-hmm. they wanted to feed us, you know, uh, every every day at lunch. That's so cool, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. And you try to push to the back of your mind. I hope it's safe, mm-hmm. you know, to, yeah, to right? eat this food that they're offering. I would be thinking about that, you know, because you don't want to get so sick that you can't, you know, get home yep. easily and all that kind of thing. So anyway, so I'm trying to push all those thoughts in the back of my mind while I'm sweltering hot and we're working on this project (laughs) and they called us into lunch the first time these wonderful people with big smiles on their faces and they had a bunch of sandwiches they had made um with some type of meat and and two slices of you know white bread you know and i didn't know that that was a plate of sandwiches because i all i saw was something black and what it was is there were so many thousands of flies on the sandwiches that I didn't know there were sandwiches there. Oh, jeez. And then they said, you know, you Eat. know, enjoy. Jeez. <laughs> oh, you know, and yeah. and I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and that was an interesting thing. Of course, they just reached in and, you yeah. know, started to eat. And uh-huh. they didn't think twice about it because they were living in a different yeah. context, right? But I thought about it, mm-hmm. and it was very, very difficult. You yeah. know, it's silly when I look back on it, how hard it was for me to, yeah. to do that. But the point I want to make on that was by the end of the week, you know, I was the first one reaching into the, the huh. fly pile to get the yeah. sandwich. You know, you, it's amazing how quickly um, you begin to adapt. Hmm. And there's a reason why I'm telling you this, uh, to a reality different from your own. Yep. You begin to understand more about what someone else's reality mm. is. You okay, emphasize. well, so to the point of your, your uh, main theme today... Coming home from that mm. trip was the first time that I had not realized how much I had adapted to a different way of le- living yeah. and their reality, and then coming back to my reality and getting slapped in the face with how different it was. Hmm. You know, And one thing you'll often hear people say is, I just never really fully appreciated how blessed we are in the United States yeah. to have all these things like clean water mm-hmm. and, and safe food and um, the means to have a home and all those types of things. And that's all true. Yeah. And that's your first reaction. Mm-hmm. But at least for me, the, the second reaction after that was um, trying to work through the guilt, yeah. you know, which was how is it that we live in a world where, you know, we have so much that we wind up taking that for granted mm-hmm. um, when not far away from us at all, yep. um, just a couple hours by plane. And people always say, well, it's so far. Why and It's really bother? not. It's, mm-hmm. it's like in, it's, it's just as close on a plane as many other places in the United States Driving. are. So, yeah. you know, that, that dichotomy was very difficult for me to reconcile hmm. uh, early on. Uh, because I just hadn't had to think about it before. So do you feel like you were kind of caught in the middle of wanting to be thankful and cherishing what you have here, but then also being like, oh, I have so much here and I do feel guilty because I have more than enough, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like what, I guess an interesting question could be like, what were some maybe voices in your head that you felt like we're battling against each other, even because if I know if I were in that situation, well, I think you know there would be just it, it's almost voices. in a way like the old joke about one angel on one shoulder and mm-hmm. the little devil on yeah. the other one. You know, um, I, I do think that that it was 
a lot of interesting inner voice, you know, that hmm. one would be going, boy, this air conditioning sure feels great. Yeah. And then thinking about just how hot it was, you know, mm. and I'm talking about that first experience being that time I first had to come face to face with yeah. this. And, and finding, you know, it's almost like not giving yourself permission to enjoy it. Yep. You know, definitely. And then going, but I, I should appreciate it. Yeah. And does you that mean I should freely. enjoy it? And, you know, yeah. so you start getting into that, that really weird head space. Um, and then you get into um, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, which I think are dangerous, but you do. And, and you start thinking, should I be doing more? Mm-hmm. I mean, is there something else I could be doing? Could I be raising money? Should, yeah. Could I, you know, what can I do to, to help folk who are not living, you know, like we are? Yeah. So you get caught up in all of that self-talk. And it took me a while to realize that the, the big, big warning sign of doing that is to not do. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So what happens is, is if you if you start letting that stuff go long enough, it's going to cause so much tension. Yes. You are going to want to get away from that. Mm-hmm. It's going to make you so uncomfortable. You just kind of yeah. want to box that away and That's put so it back true. across, right? Yeah. And then again, we know what that can do. Mm-hmm. So that began a process for me where I had to start to work to see how am I going to learn to live into this tension and learn to find peace within the dichotomy between mm-hmm. the haves of the world and the have-nots yeah. of the world. And that, I would say, is an ever-ending journey. It's never completely clean. You never completely get there. Yeah. But having done it for so many years now, you know, that I've, I've come to begin to understand some concepts about that that I, I didn't understand back then. So it's a, it's a tough journey that everyone just has to yeah. has to take. I will tell you that one thing that I've noticed among some other folk who come back from these types of experiences, not even within the living waters context, just mission experiences in general, is if they come back having their lives changed by the experience, which it often happens, mm-hmm. and they come ready to tell that story to all the people back home. And so they're emoting all this stuff back yeah. people back home and people back home are kind of going hmm that's nice yep because obviously they they can't understand that right but what will often happen is is when you are the person trying to get that across it makes you angry oh i'm sure you know yeah. because it's like don't you understand yeah don't and you understand what's so happened to can. me and don't yeah. you understand how these people are living mm-hmm. and don't you think that you should do something you know you, and so you start flipping into this should thing yeah and the anger thing and then guess what happens? You know, that's the person you don't want to come to the party. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what I'm saying? It's so true. You know, it's like, oh, boy, here comes so-and-so wanting to talk about what happened yeah. in Honduras, you know, or whatever. And so it's an interesting thing that, that can happen to folk. And I would also add, just to add another layer to this, there's what I call Mishkid syndrome. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Mm-mm. Mishkid is a, is a term for missionary kid. Gotcha. Which is the child of missionaries. Now, that's huh. different from what you and I are talking about. But missionaries, yeah. that's a big deal, right? Because you're, li- you're you're going over with your family there. to live somewhere, yeah. right? So imagine being the child mm. of a missionary. Yep. You know, imagine what it's like growing up in that context. And then the missionary decides it's time to get reassigned to the United States. Mm. And so let's say you're age 12, right? And you come back into lonely. the United States after living somewhere in a very challenged place for 12 years. Yeah. How would you feel? isolated for sure big time mm-hmm. like 
fish out of water. Yeah. Like, I don't belong here, mm-hmm. and I don't, don't really belong, belong there. there. Yeah. And so the things that I'm talking about that I find short-term mission workers face, that I faced, um, are only a degree of what folks like that face. Yeah. You know, and their journeys are also very complicated. So if this is a topic that's interesting to your uh, listeners uh, and viewers, I would recommend at some point down the road, you know, finding someone who's a mish kid to talk about that journey because yeah. mm. it would it would layer on to some of the things that we're talking about yeah. today. Yeah. So do you feel like you experience that like loneliness and I don't belong then? Some, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think that I don't know if I would call it loneliness. I'm not sure that's the word I would use, but mm. what I would say is you know how every person has that thing in them that they keep private. Because they 100%. think they think that if they went and suddenly started talking to people about that thing, those people would not relate well to that yes. thing. So you hold that piece of yourself kind of away. Which is a really important piece to be holding away. You know what yeah. I'm saying? hundred yeah. percent. Well, that happens for people who have this experience, you know, mm, when they've yep. gone and had this profound experience and then they're around in a context of folk who are not going to understand that because they haven't experienced it you learn just kind of not to talk about it, Hmm. you know? And so that makes it a real private journey, doesn't it? To try to learn how to come to terms with and reconcile. So it is my strong recommendation that it's helpful to do mission work in groups, yes, not by yourself. Hmm. And I think it's important that a part of the journey of of a mission team is not just to go and do, but to debrief the experience and continue to meet about the experience when you're back home, because these are real feelings and real emotions that everybody's going to deal with in a different way, Hmm. but they're all real. Yeah. And, and, and that's at least an audience that can, can relate to what you're feeling. And, and, and you can say, you know, have you ever felt like that or that? And they'll say, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, because they can relate to that. Right. And so I think that that's helpful too, is to, you know, group, group dynamics and community support, matter mm-hmm. when you're experiencing oh, yeah. tensions like the ones we're dealing with. But the other thing is remembering, unfortunately, you alone will not change the fact Absolutely. that you live in the United States and other people live very, very differently somewhere else. Yep. You, know, you, you alone will not do that. And so I do think it's helpful if your uh, viewers aren't familiar with the starfish story. No. Okay. The starfish story is an important uh, fable that I think um, is instructive on what we're talking about. Hmm. And that's the story of a person walking along a beach, and thousands of starfish have washed up onto the beach, which is not good for starfish since they need to be in the water. And so there's this guy, and he's picking up a starfish and throwing it into the water. And then he's picking up another starfish and Mm -hmm. throwing it into the water. Meanwhile, here it comes another person walking toward the fella, watching him throwing starfish into the water yeah. while there are literally thousands of starfish washed up on, huh. the, on the beach. You with me so far? Yeah. So they meet, and the person goes, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He goes, saving starfish. He goes, why? Yeah. There are thousands of them. Right. He goes, it doesn't matter. And the person says, it matters to this one. Mm, so every life matters. Got it? Yeah. You know, and I think that is the context that you begin to live into Hmm. to begin to deal with this tension. Yeah. 
I don't think you should ever be okay with the fact that people in the world have and have not. Mm-hmm. I don't think that is, that is never going to be acceptable on the macro. Yep. And we should never think, oh, that's just the way the world is. That's okay. Right. That's never okay. But when it comes to how do I personally work through that, I think it has a whole lot to do with focusing on who can I engage with? Yes. Who can I be uh, in relationship with so that that person or people touch my life and I touch their life? Hmm. And that's, if you will, the starfish story. Yeah. You know, lived out. And that's true. Listen, even if you don't work in an international context, you know, how many of us um, conveniently look the other way when we're walking by someone who's homeless? Mm-hmm. Yep. Why? Because it makes us uncomfortable, period. Yes. That's the only reason that you would do that, mm-hmm. right? Well, the bottom line is is that homelessness should make us uncomfortable. Yeah. It wow. should make us feel, like, really icky. Mm-hmm. However, face that. there's a way to face it without continuing to, to be blind. Yep. And guess how you do it? You do it by building a relationship with one person. Hmm. Yep. That's all you have to do. You're saying, well, how could I ever build a relationship with one homeless person? Well, I can tell you right now in Nashville, where we're based, it's quite easy because yeah. there are homeless people uh, selling a newspaper on the corner mm-hmm. uh, called The Contributor. It's a wonderful project. And it is very easy to strike up a conversation with a human being that happens yep. to be selling that newspaper. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you get to know their name. Yep. Get to know a little bit about their story. They mm-hmm. get to know a little bit about your story. And next thing you know, you find out you're both human beings yeah. and you both have the same hopes and fears and dreams. And you have now begun to work through that inequity in a really personal way. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So I think that uh, those are parts of what I've learned over the years on how to begin to, to reconcile this guilt yeah. and this tension. Um, that doesn't mean it goes away, though. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big joke. I was talking to a good friend of ours and your, yours and mine, mm-hmm. Sean, yeah. on a trip. And I said, you know, one of the things that we always laugh about is, is that after you go to one on one of these trips, you know, you don't quit. You quit, excuse me, complaining about how long the Starbucks line is. Huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well. You know, and I said, and the trick to that is, yeah, you won't ever complain again, but you might. Yeah. But you probably won't. But. When you're watching other people complain in front of you, check yourself because yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to get angry, aren't gonna you? Going to get angry. Right? Yep. And the whole point is you have to meet people where they are. Mm. And you have to say, now, wait a minute. That could have been me just before my trip. Yep. You know? And so it's really important that we cut each other a lot of slack. You yep. know, this is a becoming us and them thing. This is just about helping people. Um, Respecting people for where they are, mm, and that, yeah. and not making it, you know, a big indictment. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's what this should be about. This well, is about how love can heal, heal, um, and and even though you are feeling guilty, so. Well, and what would you say? I think we talked about this um, the other day. What would you say to people who want to impact? the world mm-hmm. and have this like really grandiose idea of what it means to mm-hmm. impact people when really on a day-to-day basis it's really the individual and the relationship with whoever you're coming across whether it be at Kroger or at work mm-hmm. or wherever that's what matters like how would you no what would you say to people in that situation who just think that they can only impact the world by 
I think you just answered your own question. I guess I did. And you did it really, really well, <laughs> by the way. I guess I did. I was quite impressed by taking that. Taking it from your yeah. oh, of course. story. <laughs> but I do think that you, you hit the nail on the head. Hmm. And, and that is I don't ever want to step on anyone's dream. Yeah. of impacting the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a beautiful thing. And young people in particular uh, have more idealism about that yeah. often than what happens to us as we get older and we go through this thing called life more. Yeah. You know? However, um, what we have found has been the way that that can be most effectively done is first do it in community. Yeah. You know, don't do mm-hmm. it by yourself. And secondly, focus on relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships matter. You know, even at Living Waters for the World, where you would think all we're about are water treatment systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's not how we see it. We see clean water as a means to a relational end. That's so cool. It's about people forming relationships with one another around clean water in our case. But you can form relationships with someone around anything, including the produce section at Kroger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the point is, is that that is where world change is going to happen and does yes. happen. Uh Margaret Mead, yeah. the famous anthropologist, mm-hmm. uh, her, one of her quotes is my favorite quote in the world. And, uh, and her quote is, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. Oh, wow. You yeah. know, that's a chill bumper for me to this Same. day. And it's been that way for me since the first time I heard that so many years ago. And that is true. So if you think about it, what is inherently understood in a small group changing the world? Relationships. Yep. Not causes. Hmm. Causes are fine, but relationships change the world. Yes. Now, you can pick what cause matters to you, but if you don't do it in the context of relationship, you're not going to sustain it. Yeah. And you're not going to change the world. And then, of course, there's this whole issue of dependency and patriarchal behavior which unfortunately can happen when you think you have a lot and someone doesn't have much. So you want to go do for someone. Not with someone. Absolutely true that we want to help people. Yeah. But when you have that for preposition driving you, you're not in the relationship business. It's to feel good. Really? Well, yeah. And, and you're not in, and, and you can't be in a relationship business doing something mm. for because you're not empowering that individual to have dignity and self respect. Yeah. With with is the preposition, doing things with people. Mm-hmm. And that means you have to be willing to be open to the idea that they have something to give you yeah. that you need. Hmm. And that's the next big piece of this whole conversation about how do you deal with the dichotomy between the haves and the have-nots. And that is you need to know your own poverty. Hmm. Wow. And if you can't, um, then you just have to keep working on it till you can get there. Mm -hmm. You know, because the bottom line is, is I can name now for myself a lot of poverty. Yes. That is partly the byproduct of living in the land of plenty. Mm -hmm. You know, and being a person of faith... It is the substitution of God in my heart with a number of other things. Right. Shall we name a few? Yes, you know? please do. <laughs> um, power. Yeah. Economic uh, largesse, shall we say? <laughs> Money, to be, to be blunt. Yeah. Um, uh, mindless entertainment. Yeah, that's such a big one. Um it goes on and on, but it's 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 ways um, alcohol, drug use, mm-hmm. sex, distraction, distraction, 
all these are, are things that, that can replace that meaningful God space mm-hmm. when you have them at your fingertips. Yep. You know, and so what I have learned when I'm working with people in the developing world has been that what they have to offer more than anything is purity. Purity. They have, they, they have not been distracted by all these substitutes, right? And so you get to see the essence of what joy can be. Mm. Some of the happiest people I have ever met are Haitians. Wow. Poorest country in our hemisphere. Mm. And yet they're the happiest people I've met. What's up with that? Where are some of the un- most unhappy people you've met? Yeah. You know what I'm right saying? Here. <laughs> so, so why is that? Well, they just have that purity of life, that purity of love for their family and, and their friends. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. And it's the essence of that. So we have poverty. Mm-hmm. And so if we're able to see that our partners have as much to give us as we have to give them, then we start going, wait a minute. Maybe things aren't as unequal yeah. as we thought. Because on the things that matter most, which is who are we, why are we here, mm. you know, if you're a believer in God, what are we called to do? Yep. All those issues mean that on that score, we're not even at parity mm-hmm. with our brothers and sisters. They have yep. more to teach us, right? Right. You know, and so that begins to balance it out a little bit, right? Mm. And that starts to make it a what? A relationship. relationship. Get yeah. it? You know? And so I'm always hearing things like relationships are built on trust, and of course they are. You know, you, you, you violate trust and you can blow up a relationship real quick. Oh, right? yeah. But relationships are also built on mutual understanding and, I believe, looking in the mirror and examining what your poverty is. Mm. And if you can learn to do that, it, it really helps uh, in this issue of how do you square the haves and the have-nots of the yeah. world. Again, it's not cool. It's mm-hmm. not acceptable. Do you know that three million people are dying every year from preventable mm. illness from drinking dirty water in wow. the world today? Three million are dying a year. Mm. I don't even want to tell you about the millions that are forever diminished by that. Yeah. And most of those three million are children under four. Yep. You know, this is unacceptable in mm-hmm. 2018. We should be incensed by that. Absolutely. But we should not be immobilized by that. Yeah, so true. So in summary of our this topic of this piece of our conversation, the way you don't get immobile is you believe in relationships, you find your own vulnerability so that you don't have a huge power imbalance, mm-hmm. and you seek to, to meet people where they are and, and get to know them as people. And that's, that's a lot of what I would offer from my experiences. Yeah. Well, and totally like with the immobilization thing, I can just totally see that like in my own life because when I do have these you know big ideas of how I want to impact the world I don't do them because I'm like well or I try them and then I'm like oh this is too hard but like really that's I think why I started my podcast because it's like so simple for me and so natural and like genuine and it's small it's just like having conversations with people and building into people and to me, like, that's always going to be way more successful than, like, oh. I don't know. I don't know what the big ideas that I specifically had back in the day were, but it was always like, oh, I need to launch this huge thing so that mm-hmm. people can be impacted. When really it's, like, just as simple as sharing stories and figuring or, and trying to connect with people mm-hmm. through those stories. Well, I would say that what you're doing is your gateway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say is, is a 
we Americans, we want everything right now. Yep. And we have been conditioned that it has to be big. Mm -hmm. And even worse, if it's not big, it's a failure. Yeah. That is a tragedy Mm -hmm. because it is so not true. That is a mythology that we have built up. Mm -hmm. Another mythology we built up that uh, a friend of mine, David Lamott, uh, talks a lot about in his book, uh, World Changing 101, which I would recommend to yep. your viewers. It's, my book it's, it's a good book, is the mythology of the hero. Hmm. Um, and by mythology, I mean a make-believe story. We have yeah. this make-believe story that heroes are singularly great at something that no one else is. And that's, for me, that's where I saw myself. You see what I'm saying? And that, that's that, why that I was I'm, extra- I'm extraordinary. And or that person's extraordinary, and I could never be that person because yep. they're just so amazing. And, and they did it all by themselves. So, you know, let's break that down for a minute. Number one, it's not true. There's no self-made people on this planet. Mm-hmm. No one has ever done anything by themselves yeah. at that level of success. It's happened through a lot of breaks, a lot of grace, and a lot of support. You know, so there's no self-made people. So I, I think that's a mythology we need to dispense with. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have initiative and you shouldn't work hard because yeah. I believe in all of those things. But the ego needs to take a rain check yep. when it comes to this idea of hero worship for those of us who do that. And then the, those who think they're heroes. Yep. That's a dangerous thing. So that's a mythology. And the problem with that mythology is then everyday folk abdicate their opportunity, I call it, abdication of their opportunity to engage in the world because they're not a hero. Yeah. I call it, the, um, and David does too, the Mother Teresa complex, hmm. which is, wow, I could never do what Mother Teresa right. did. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm glad there are people like her out there. Right. Right? Yeah. And you're getting yourself off the hook, right? But really, it was... She was probably the most relational person there is. Man, was she ever. Yeah. She was all about humility, relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her house attracted thousands to come mm-hmm. and be in that zone with yep. her. So th- th- we do this to ourselves. All of yeah. our movies, look at our movies. How many of our movies are based on a hero narrative? It's glorifying. You yeah. know? You know, um, the hero narrative goes back through all human history, right? Mm-hmm. You know, hero is part of mythology, and it's certainly part of the American mythology yeah. is the hero. So and wars and, and all that. And that gets caught, and we get caught up in all that, and so you know, it, it affects our ability to be in relationship and to make a difference in the world and, mm-hmm. and all of that. The other thing that's lifted up in that book, which I find really fascinating, is this belief that we need to be pure humans in order to do work in the world in a humanitarian context or in a missional yeah. context. So if I see flaws in myself or mixed motive, then I should not do it because only good people should go out there mm-hmm. and, and share clean water or should go out there and be in a relationship in any context. And let's face it, there's a big part of me that kind of wants to pat myself on the back right. for being a good person for yeah. doing this. And that makes me feel icky, so I just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And apparently... This happens all the time. Yeah. You know, we we start getting that mixed motive gig going and going, oh, I just better not do it at all. Mm-hmm. And what David points out in his book is that's human. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, who doesn't want approval, for goodness sakes? I'm an approval junkie. I thought most people were, you know. And so, I want to be valued. So, yeah, do you want to go out into the world and have someone say, thank you so much for sharing clean water with us? Well, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, do we have that need, right? That's yep. That's part of the human condition. If that's the reason you're not going, 
He's going, you got to get over that. Yeah, true. You got to get over to. it. Mm-hmm. You know, because the bottom line is that we're all human. Yep. And so we have those mixed motives, but that should not be the reason to not do anything. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't abdicate to the mythology of hero. Yeah. You know, so these. So what we're fighting against here when we're talking about all this is we're fighting against cultural um, conventions mm-hmm. that we all grow up in and we all hear and we all buy into yep. and, and enjoy. You know, I enjoy I enjoy, I enjoy the enjoy hero it. movie as much as anybody, yep. man. You know, I, a great hero movie from my era um, was uh, a movie called Lethal Weapon. You mm. know, I don't know if many people have seen it. They had sequel after sequel after sequel. Gotcha. But, I was like, I've totally but, heard of it. But, but, but... It's, a, it's a hero narrative, hmm. you know. So this is just all part of uh, the way we are as people. Yeah. And so it runs right into these other issues like the world's injustice. Hmm. Um uh, the impact of those with wealth having power versus those without and, and all of those things that are not right. And Christianity and my understanding of Christ um, is pretty clear on the topic. I, I don't feel like there's a lot of gray there yeah. about um, what we are called to do. Hmm. Um, I, I truly believe, and I was just telling a conference I was uh, speaking at for Living Waters for the World uh, today, um, that there is a reason that, as you and I are taping this, that the um, highest rated movie this year is Won't You Be My Neighbor? About Fred Rogers, uh, oh, Mr. Rogers' oh, yeah, Neighborhood. yeah, I never saw that. Highest rated. Now, why is that? Huh. Why is I've heard the, so why many is people the, Why is the guy it? who was as humble as they come, believed on loving people wherever they were, right where they were, that. It's because it's what we all want, mm-hmm. you know. And he believed in get, telling children that they were valuable, right the way they were. They didn't have to He's do anything to be hero. valuable. Yeah. You know, if you need a hero, mm-hmm. if we have to do the hero thing in this country, Fred Rogers needs to be your hero. <laughs> yeah. You know. And I mean by that simply that you know, if we're going to live the life that Christ would have us live, um, a life of service and humility and and love. Uh, then it, it means that we we don't need to get so caught up yeah. in all of this other attainment, status, fame, power, money, yeah. all these things that I call the substitutes for what really matters in life. Well, and, and I think yeah. it's kind of difficult. we're all guilty. Just, I'm oh, going to say yeah. it again. I feel bad like, like I'm lecturing. The bottom no. line is, is I'm just You're old. I'm just old. I've been <laughs> at it for a while. But the bottom line is, is I am just as susceptible to these things today mm-hmm. as I was when I was 40, 30, 20. Mm. I don't think this is a journey that you, you, you hop off the train on. Right. You know, it is helpful to be more aware of it. Yes. And that's helpful, I hope, to this this uh, device we're doing where we're talking and helping people think. But it doesn't go away. Yeah. This is just part of being human. Well, yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, a lot of the people listening to this are, like, fans of certain people and mm-hmm. idolize, I'm sure, sure, as I did when I was young and had these usually musicians that I looked up to and Me was too. just, like, fangirl, as we call it now. I wasn't fangirl, but I was fanboy. <laughs> fan I was, absolutely. Well, fanboys yeah. call themselves fangirls now, too. So. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Apparently. You know, I love all this new nomenclature. I know, right? That's great. So, yeah. and it's... It's interesting because when I used to like idolize these people, I noticed not only my health was like deteriorating, but then I also watched like the things that they were doing that ended up like, I mean, 
Well, a prime example is Demi Lovato. I don't know if you heard, but... I did, and I was so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, when you have so many people who look up to you and who see you as their role model, you're always going to disappoint. You're always going to fail. We are human. That's like the core of who we are is we fail. That's what we're supposed to do. And... And we disappoint people when we do because we have the hero element of like, mm-hmm. I want someone who's always going to keep their promises, who's sure. never going to disappoint me. But it's like, that's not that's not a thing. You can't put that on people because we're always going to disappoint. And I think when I started just realizing that in my own life, that's when I wanted to share people's stories because I was like, I want to share the human element of every single person and like... I am struggling with things right now in the process, and I'm going to talk about them so that you can see. Well, I'm saying, like, me, but also anyone. I know what you mean, yeah. To to show that I am human and that you got to stop looking up to me so much. You can look up to me for how honest and maybe vulnerable or authentic I am, but, like, don't look up to me because you think I'm this perfect being. Exactly. Look, you know, one one of the most tragic parts of the hero negative Negative. Yeah, negative. The hero narrative, <laughs> although I think that was a Freudian. Yeah, right. Um, the the <laughs> one of the most tragic Freudian parts scene. is not those of us who are doing the hero worshiping, but the hero. Mm, um, I, yeah. I, I just history in our current uh, day is replete uh, with stories of what it's like to think you're the hero yeah. or expect that you need to be the hero, and then your humanity kicks in in the middle of it. Yep. And it's it's tragic. It's it tragic, tragic over and over and over again. We just really weren't meant, I don't believe, to to buy into that yeah. stuff because you just can't you can't keep it going, mm-hmm. and and I think it causes tremendous psychic pain, yeah, uh, and a sense of loneliness mm-hmm. and a sense of isolation for the person who's being billed as the as the hero. Yep. So I, I think it's tragic on 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 both sides of that, you yeah. know. So I I think what you're trying to do and why you're doing it is so important. It is so important. We all want to believe in fairy tales. Oh, 100%. We all grew up loving princesses and princes and all the heroes that we look up to. And we want to have heroes. We want to aspire to that. But we need to put it in perspective. Mm -hmm. Human beings are human beings are human beings. And they're all going to make mistakes. They're all going to have their shortcomings. And they're going to do things that are wonderful and inspirational at the same time. We're all in this soup together. Is what it boils it's down to, and I think it's important that we we see Christ in each other, mm. and I really look at that as a strong piece of my theology, is that when I am with someone and we're sharing clean water together, uh, I see Jesus in that person, mm. and maybe I'm lucky if they see Jesus in me. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're heroes. Mm. That just means that we are beloved. Yes. And we are vulnerable and we are willing to, to love and mm-hmm. be vulnerable and be loved on. And that sounds mighty mushy, mm-hmm. but it really is what Christ was all about. Yeah. You know, my favorite story in Scripture, and there are so many cool ones, uh, but my favorite story is the woman at the well. And mm. not just because... I do clean water for a living, right? You would think, oh, of course well, she likes women in the well. that's yeah. one that connects with you the most. Yeah, well, it does. And yeah. let me tell you why, on, on many, many levels, why that connects with me. I don't know how, how many of your viewers will be, know the story of uh, Jesus coming to a well in Samaria, which is not his land, right. 
but the land of an enemy mm-hmm. and, uh, and needing water in the middle of the day. And there is a soul woman there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've set up in this scene every cultural taboo on the planet. You yeah. got a Jew in Samaria by himself with a woman yeah. who's by herself. And first things first, they shouldn't even connect right. because they're enemies. Secondly, because one's a man and one's a woman. Shouldn't be there. Thirdly, she shouldn't be there by herself. And you sure aren't supposed to talk to each other right. in that scenario. Well, I think most people who've studied some of this know that all that stuff was going down yeah. when Jesus says, give me a drink. Mm-hmm. And then this woman had the pluck to and the courage to answer and say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Asking, well, he was. You're asking me for a drink? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, the, it goes on, and they have this exchange. And most people focus on the part about where Jesus says, "You know, if you could take the water that I offer you, you would have living water, and you'd never be thirsty." Mm. You know, and sure, that is the what I would say is the payoff of the story. Yeah. But what's important there is the relationship. What's important is that Christ is seeing this person as an equal. With mm. whom to have a conversation need something. that mm. flies in the face of every social conven- convention of mm-hmm. the day. And then also the fact is, culturally, she would not be getting water in the noonday sun. Women gather water in the morning and in the evening because it's not as hot. Mm-hmm. There's only one reason she can possibly be getting water at noon, and that's because she's an outcast. Yeah. She has done something that has kind of alienated her from her people. And if you follow the story, you find out that Jesus talks to her about what <clears throat> those things are. And she's blown away that he knows about those things. Yeah. But also, he doesn't seem to be particularly judgmental about those things. Hmm. He's just trying to see into her soul. Yeah. You know, and have this conversation. That to me is the most powerful uh, message and in, in, in story in scripture. And then what often I point out when I talk about that story is the fact that this woman was the first evangelist hmm. yep. for God's love yeah. through the eyes of Christ. Was She's the one that ran back into the town and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. Right. So here comes this outcast. Imagine this scene from the other perspective. She's running into town. Yeah. This lady's nuts. Yeah, exactly. She's saying yep. she talked to a Jewish man. What? And he said, what? <laughs> right. And, but, it's you know, she was already full. She was full and she didn't care what they thought then, right? Mm-hmm. You know, think about that. You yeah. know, someone who probably was not feeling like she could even raise her head up in public is no, running like she's this. So excited. Just picture that for a minute and you realize the power of God's love as manifest in relationship. Hmm. And so there's many stories in scripture I love, but that's my favorite one for, yeah. all, for all those reasons. Well, you yeah. answered one of my ending questions. Oh, cool. <laughs> I love Which that. is like anticipatory. Well, for people especially my age, who spend so much time on the internet, Mm -hmm. who are watching this podcast on the internet and are connecting with people digitally, Mm -hmm. but not eye to eye emotionally. Right. How, how do we, how do we find maybe the balance or Mm. how do we still connect with people? Boy, are you asking me a a loaded question? (laughs) Well, let me tell you a story that I told to the conference that will help answer this okay. question. Let's hear it. Our teams focus on wanting to help people, and they particularly are focused on children. 
because, you know, it's, it's, it's just deplorable that children are drinking dirty water yeah. in the world, right? So they're focused on that. I challenge them to also remember the children in the United States. And they were like looking at me, and I said, I want you to realize what it's like to be a child in the United States today. Hmm. And that also goes for young people. And that is every time a television is turned on or a radio or they go online, they're watching what are supposed to be mature adults yelling at each other, demeaning one another, Mm. saying hate-filled things to one another, and generally just trashing one another and not showing anything that resembles love whatsoever. Because that's entertainment. And it's and it's and there's reasons for how that has come to pass yeah. and we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> but the bottom line is, what would that make you feel if you were a child? Well the answer is scared. Yeah. You would feel very unsafe in a world like that. Yep. So should we be surprised that young people like to spend a lot of time into a, in a small screen mm. because it's a way to not have to deal with this ugliness that's around them right now. Yeah. So I said, how are young people and children going to learn a higher way? How are they going to see something that's a better alternative that looks like Jesus, this, this Jesus they've been learning about maybe? Mm-hmm. How are they going to know that? Well, our water teams, I say, they're looking at you. Hmm. I said, you know, if, if your kids, if they're the kids in your world, they're looking at what you're doing, yeah. that you're reaching out across dividing lines and you're forming relationships with people who do not look like you, yeah. do not talk like you, and do not think like you, and yet you love one another and you become sisters and brothers. I said, never before has it been more important for those examples hmm. to be there. Yep. So part of this is not an indictment on young people spending time digitally when they live in a world where it's easy and and preferable to escape that way. Mm -hmm. I would ask young people to work really hard to pull their head out of that long enough to look for role models, Hmm. whether it's their age or older, who are out there showing what relational value is about and loving people despite differences is about and coming together in common humanity is about. And my guess is, because I've seen it happen, when young people begin to see people doing that and begin to get to know those people, they find reasons more and more to put down the phone and hang out with those people and Mm -hmm. connect. But they need someone to to key on. You just can't tell a young person who's locked in their phone 8, 10, 12 hours a day Put it down and go do something right. good with your life. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you, they, they need someone with whom to connect. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask everyone to study the world around them, open their That's eyes, cool. take the blinders off. It may be someone very old. Mm-hmm. It may be someone very different. It may be someone younger. Mm-hmm. But who is that person that's living a life that really connects? And I think, too, someone you could actually know. Again, it's not you, you the gotta, role model. It's your gateway online. Remember the it's gateway. The, role model. the gateway is, yeah. is that person you know, mm-hmm. right? I'm not ever going to be someone who, because I'm older, I'm going to say there's no value in connecting in the social world. Right. I, I'm not going to be that person because I have seen some beautiful exchanges, even in my social media world. Mm-hmm. They're mixed in with the majority of not beautiful exchanges, exactly. I'm sorry to say. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I've seen some real beautiful things. But let that be a model 
for what can be in the flesh. Mm, you know, let yes, that let that yeah. be what informs you to say, let me seek that away from the phone. Mm-hmm. Because it's a habit to bury into the phone. Yep. It's a habit to escape into the phone. It's easier. It feels safer, frankly. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But if you really want to feel full and you want to really feel um, the full measure of love, I think, um, you got to look for that person in real life that you can know and begin to kind of be with and, yep. and, and follow along with and then come alongside. And I think it'll, it'll all work out. It's, yeah. it's one of those things that I don't begrudge someone. When I was a young person, I, I knew folk who had some tough things going on in their lives, and they became avid players of a game called Dungeons & Dragons. Hmm. You know, Dungeons & Dragons was really the escapism of the day. Yeah. You know, it was role play. Mm-hmm. And role play is a what? It's a way to put on a different set of clothes, yep. right? And assume a whole different, a different reality identity. because this reality is not particularly enjoyable right yeah. now. Oh, absolutely. So we get this. There's nothing wrong with this. It's just recognizing it, mm-hmm. you know, and finding ways to to reconnect in the real. I shouldn't say that in the real. In the well, in the human flesh, reality of, of touch and eyes. Yeah. And 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 relationship. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, I'm not as pessimistic that that's possible as a lot of people because love is such a powerful thing. Oh, yeah. Um, But um, sometimes if you are someone who's listening or watching this who feels you've already begun to kind of get this and you've kind of put a step into this and you're you're doing it, the most beautiful saintly thing you could ever do is is to reach out to friends who maybe aren't quite there yet mm. and be an encouragement. Yep. You know, be an encourager. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have times we need to be encouraged. And this is your opportunity yeah. to say, I really loved it when we went out and did this, this, and this, and this happened to me. And just say so. Mm-hmm. Just say, hey, friend A, B, and C, who I know are buried all the time in the digital world, yeah. you know, hey, come with me one time, you know? Mm-hmm. Phone in the pocket, just for an hour, you know? Yeah. And that's how you begin to, to bring people along. You know, there's a role for all of us to, to, to help. Fred Rogers, remember him? Mm. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the big documentary. They asked him after the 9-11 tragedy, what do we tell children mm. who are feeling supremely unsafe right yeah. now? You know, what do we tell them? And what Fred Rogers said was, look for the helpers. Mm. He goes... Children need to be safe. Yeah. So look for the helpers. Who's helping? And model your life on the helpers. I think that's some of the best advice that's ever been given. Absolutely. And and so that's the way that folk can begin to reach out into their own worlds and say, who's helping? Hmm. How can I come alongside that and, and experience that that relationship? I need and to so, watch this documentary. Yeah. Oh, it's powerful. All right. It'll change your life. Hmm. It will. Yeah. All right. So to wrap uh-huh. up. Oh. Who would you say Steve Young is right now? Um, well, if, if by now we don't have a good idea, <laughs> I know, right? I'm pretty, pretty, <laughs> Sum it we're up. Pretty, we're pretty dangerous, <laughs> Um I am a flawed human being who still loses his temper too easily. Me too. Um, can wake up blue once in a while. Mm. Um, but also uh, loves his kids and loves his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and feels blessed that he has that family. Yeah. And as someone who 
wants to catch himself whenever he's starting to defer away from relationship and wants to lean into relationship. Hmm. So that's probably who I am. Lean in. I love that word, you know, your phrase. I, yeah, that's sure. not my phrase originally, but I use it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a little scary to lean in. It is. You know, but you know what? You don't have to put all, you don't have to jump. You can just lean. Yeah. And you and experience stra- extraordinary life when you lean in. You do. Mm-hmm. You do. And, you know, I never dreamed I'd be a guy who's been all over the world and met thousands of people who are different from me, who've had something to teach me in all these other countries. Um, and yet I still have so much more to learn. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's a, it's a great journey. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. So where can people find Living Waters on social media and the website? You know, since we talked about digital, mm-hmm. now we're going to talk about how wonderful digital is because <laughs> it's going to help people find Living Go Waters for them. the World. But we would love to have people plug in and become part of our family at Living Waters for the World. They can go to our website, livingwatersfortheworld.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can type Living Waters for the World and find us on Facebook right away, find us right away on Twitter, and even Instagram. <laughs> Yes. Even Instagram, yeah. Even Instagram. So we, we, we are becoming cooler by the moment. <laughs> because of you, Steve. No, because of young people like you, <laughs> Exactly. Kara. Thank goodness for you. So, yeah, that's how you say? can check us out, and we'd love to have you along. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on today and just sure. sharing your wisdom, your experience, but also, like, the humility within that and offering just so much sound advice, I feel like, for young people to listen to. But again, also understanding where people are at and meeting them in the middle. Meet people where they are. Yeah. And I hope you would meet me where I am. That's mm. all we can ask of each other. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube if you want more inspirational content like this. And you can join our Patreon community at the link in the description or at patreon.com slash what's your life journey. We'd love for you to join that community there so that you can get more uplifting, inspirational content like Steve's story. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much, Tiffany Denny, for being so engaged on my Patreon page. I see you on just about every post, so really appreciate that. And also, wanted to do a fan of the week this week. Her name is Samantha Wright, and she commented on Courtney Smallbone's story. Just wanted to read that to you real quick. So Samantha said... Thank you for the reminder that even though the process is seemingly crushing, that it is to be an anointing oil on the other side. Blessings to you all for sharing your stories. Such power in stories. Just thank you. And thank you, Kira, for being a vehicle of blessing and change. May God pour his blessings tenfold what you have poured onto others. Thank you so much, Samantha, for your kind words. We really appreciate that you tune into every single podcast. Thank you.